This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Welcome to Chapter Tactics. I'm your host, Petey Bob, and with me I have Mr. Sean, Jeff, and Peter the Falcon. We are skipping the regular intro today. Wow. Oh, no. We are just going to jump right into it. This is going to be a quicker Chapter Tactics episode. Uh, I realize we do have Jeff on, so we might go into long Custodes tangents, um, but I'm trying to keep this episode a little under an hour and a half. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about command point resource and stratagem management and how we use it at a competitive level at 40k tournaments Uh, so obviously this topic is good for people not just going to 40k tournaments uh, but i added that little moniker just because uh, i feel like that's where it's used um, most competitively and um, where where uh, you'd really want to be efficient because command point use and stratagem use is very important at the tournament level Um, it's one CP can make the difference between winning and losing a game, um, and so that kind of efficiency is something people definitely want to get into. If you want to learn a little bit more about the topic, In the Finest Hour actually did a little tidbit on a similar subject. They dove, you, uh, Sean, Shailen, and Josh dove deeper into the subject. Um, Sean, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about that episode? Yeah, we did We did basically a whole episode on kind of like how you're using stratagems and when you want to use them. Uh, and, and especially we, we did a focus on the command reroll stratagem in particular uh, because that's a really, really important stratagem. Uh, but we, we've talked a lot about stratagem usage in a couple different episodes because it's such a huge part of 8th edition. Right, it's a big, big topic. And of course, we had to bring the Falcon back from his hiatus in March. Uh, the Falcon was busy slaying polar bears and diving into icebergs, I imagine. Mm, yes. <laughs> diving into icebergs. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing, um, especially given that I'm landlocked, but it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're welcome the Falcon back to talk about uh, tournament coverage. We didn't cover turn- any tournament talk last episode because we had the wonderful Jeff on, or not Jeff, sorry. Sorry, Juice, Juice, Jeff, same not actually very different. <laughs> Essentially things. the same person, yes. <laughs> Juice and JV on for the Adepticon talk last week episode. And that took up the majority of the episode. So we're going to talk about this weekend's tournaments and last weekend's tournaments as well with the Falcon. Um, before we get to that, we got a couple Patreon announcements. Uh, Val and myself did play live a live game that we Facebook lived and put on the Facebook group for patrons only. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Not going to spoil anything, but... Um, it was definitely not a long game, and there was definitely one clear winner. Um, but it was fun, and I uh, do plan on doing more episodes like that. So if that's something you're interested in, 
head on over to the Patreon, sign up, and then go into that Facebook group. I'm also going to be doing more faction interviews with specific players who were very good in their factions. Um, think like Jeff and Custodes, uh, JV or Jim Vessel and Chaos, etc., etc. So I'm going to be adding more of those episodes in there. I'm going to try and make a concerted effort. Also, I'm going to try and get a Discord going this month, too. So a lot of stuff going on. Patreon.com slash chapter tactics if you want to join up. Also, we're going to be giving away one Lord Discordant and Abaddon to one lucky patron. So check that out. Oh, I hope it's me. <laughs> the, the the Lord Discordant has so far sold more models than Abaddon in the store. Um, oh, which, wow. Which, it's, which I, it's, I was kind of surprised by. I'm, I'm not, because like, not only is it a gorgeous model, it's got really solid rules, and it's takeable by any chaos Marines faction. Well, and I guess you can take more than one is the other thing. So all those Dalhusens yeah. out there that are, that bought their three. Oh, yes. <laughs> there there were a lot of people who bought three. Uh, Jeff, I, I would say that it's probably one of the models that got you to take Chaos Space Marines. Yes. How many mm-hmm. did you buy? I'm only going to buy one. Um, I, I'm trying to be more reasonable about this foray into Chaos for me because... Usually when I start an army, I buy like 10 of everything, and that gets really <laughs> expensive, and uh, I need to be more responsible as an adult these days, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to ease into it a little bit. <laughs> well, it's very, I think you're setting a good example for all of us, Jeff, as, as, I, as I just finished paying off a Knight Castellan mm. that I got painted right, uh, right on the eve of the, the FAQ when it's going to get nerfed forever. It now, is something I look up totally to. untouched again. <laughs> oh no, it's already collecting dust. It, you know, preemptively collecting dust, getting ready for the long haul. All right. Uh also shout out to a couple tournaments that are sponsors of the show. Uh Throne of War GT in Honolulu Hawaii Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh well Sean is flying out there on patron money. So thank you, patrons, for supporting Sean and his endeavors. I'm gonna make sure to get him in a luau. We'll get him laid. Ooh. Uh yeah, wow. it'll, it'll be great. Um, we'll get him in a bikini. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Also, oh, I got the bikini myself. already. Yeah, don't worry <laughs> yes. about that. Uh, and then, of course, the Boise Cup GT for sponsoring the event as well. I will be attending that one. Uh, and I think a lot of people from Relentless D, which is which is my 40k team, will be going to, including Brandon Grant and Michael Snyder. And, and then yeah, finally... Oh, good. I was just going to say, it's a really good tournament. I've been to it before, and Aaron runs a really classy show. So if you're anywhere in the Northwest and you're looking for a good major to go to, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, it's also very competitive. There's a lot of really good players in that Boise area. Yeah. Uh, a lot of players who you know who went 5-1 and one at the LVO or consistently go 4-2, and 5-1 and one at the LVO. Um, you have the guys from like Utah, like Thomas Hex from Oki, uh, Rich Kilton, a really, really good org player. Um, mm-hmm. And of course... Yeah, Ben Cromwell, of course, Ben Cromwell. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, very handsome. Mark Vachon. Uh, just, just, it's just a very good scene. So it's going to be a very competitive event. I'm really looking forward to going. Uh, and then finally, as an announcement, big topic that we didn't talk about last week as well. Uh, the ITC faction vote did pass in a landslide vote. And guess what? People hate soup. I didn't know that. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, for those of you who maybe are unaware, living under a rock and you're listening to this podcast, uh, basically the I, the way we are determining your overall faction for points and faction points towards ITC uh, has changed. Uh, whereas before it, we took the highest detachment, their highest point detachment, and that determined your overall faction. So you could go like 1,500 points in Grey Knights, 500 points in Astro Militarum, and still be still be in the running for best Grey Knights. Now you have to be pure 2,000 points Grey Knights. Uh, or else you would 
we will get put into one of the or relegated into one of the soup uh, factions where you can also win best soup or best uh best soup faction so it, it got changed up a little bit uh the the big question a lot of people have been asking me is is will this affect the meta is this the depth of soup is it you know is this mean that we're going to get more pure armies making top tables uh, I personally don't think so, but I kind of wanted to open up to the rest of the co-hosts real quick uh, because it is a topic a lot of people have opinions on. Um, for my part, I think I would say that is it's gonna is it gonna change what armies win tournaments? No, probably not much. Uh, the players who are winning GTs and majors are going to bring the same kinds of armies they were bringing before because they want to bring the most competitive army they can. Um, it will change the armies that you see at an event because some of the players who are still interested in winning a best in faction award uh, will bring a pure army in order to do that. Uh, but those armies are are just going to be weaker than they would have been if they were able to soup. Uh, that's kind of the reality of it. So they're probably not actually going to win events. They're just going to place at events. Hmm. Yeah, I think... Um... So I have a whole bunch of thoughts about this, so I'll just, I won't give this long speech, I'll just touch on a few of them, get, and then come back to me, because I got a lot to say, but I think it was really, su uh, not surprising even, but it was interesting to see how one side of the vote was, it was, it was roughly four to one in favor of, like, pure detachments being the, the count, um, but then upon reflection, it, it makes sense, because almost every time, for me in particular, I wrote, like, a custodies list or something like that, there was a <laughs> lot of people that would just message and be like, Puh! custodies i'm looking at 200 points of garden there and you're like <laughs> and they got really upset about it and, and to each their own so i'm not going to spend this time necessarily hating on those people but the point i'm trying to i want to make is this is very very important to people a lot of people that if you are custodies or you're something that you have nothing else in there um so soup on some level has this really interestingly negative bad rap for a lot of people and i think they're the less competitive people if i had to imagine um Yes, it, but but they make up the majority of the population of the ITC as is reflected in that vote. So for me personally, it's not how I voted or it's not what I would like, but I respect the democracy of the ITC and the people have spoken and that's what they want. So that's what it means going forward. And I fully agree with everything Sean said in terms of it's not going to have that big of an impact. It's going to be a little bit of the fence breakers. There's going to be people who are like, like me that wrote a list that has some points towards guard or, you know, ad mech or whatever. And then for certain tournaments, they're going to be like, well, I guess I dropped that. Um, and that's cool. So you will see more pure detachments, but it is going to be like, I don't put it in because in my fluff, my custodians just love Admech. I put it in because I hate playing a game with custodians where I do one stratagem, I get three rerolls, and then I'm done. And then, you know, my uh, tra Trajan Valoris at the end of the game just can't reroll something because I just used my four or five command points already, and, and that's it. Uh, it just doesn't feel good. So there are definitely some babies with that bathwater, but it is what it is. Hmm. Yeah, I fully agree with everything. I think late season you'll you might see some smaller GTs get uh, pure wins just from people that you know they've already kind of maxed out their points, um, and so they're they're going to gun for a best in faction as well. Uh, like you know somebody like a Sean Naden or a Nick Nadavati who who can generally play. Uh, something a little bit uh, lower on the totem pole, let's say, and maybe pull off a win at a tournament. Um, you might see them try it. Uh, like somebody like that, that's you know, maybe a step above the the average player goes to a small GT. 
28, 30 players and, and, and steals it. That would be it. That'd be the only change I think you're going to see. Well, and just to add to that real quick, I think you will see pure factions occasionally take GTs, but it's going to be an exception. Like you're not going to consistently see space wolves in the top eight, but I'm sure someone somewhere will win a GT with space wolves. And or I'm it'll be sure the ones gonna... that naturally do it, right? Like yeah. Yeah. Tau is still very good. They don't oh, care. Yeah. They're, gonna, yeah. they're still Tau. So they're like, yeah, that's cool. Like Tau, Drukhari, um, Orcs, they're all... They all do it already, so there's it's not going to change anything there. And the other thing is, I think there might be like the fun extra major where you get that one guy that gets in the top eight. Like that almost always happens. I has no idea why he's there, and th- yeah. it just might be a more fun list in that case that makes it there. That kind of yeah. sneaks in. Well, just to add a little extra thing to this um, that I haven't seen a lot of people talk about. My gut reaction was originally like, "Oh, haha, we're actually going to see less soup armies." Um, but then I quickly overruled that, saying, of course, people yeah. are going to bring their Space Wolves, their Blood Angels. You know, they're just going to take out their 200 points of guard or whatever have you and just turn it into a pure list because that's basically what they wanted to do anyways. Um, but then I thought about the bigger ramifications, and I, I don't know if how negatively or, or how it's going to affect the, the tournament scene as a whole, but we are going to see a lot less diversity on paper now in, in tournaments. So, like, if you go to, like, fast forward to... Uh, Nova, right? Um, your top eight, instead of, of being like maybe Eldar, Dark Eldar, you know, Space Marines, blah, 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 blah. You're going to see Imperium Soup, Imperium Soup, Chaos Soup, Eldar Soup, Eldar Soup. Like no. maybe a Tau. So I, it's a different classification, listing. but it's the same diversity. Well, yeah. True. But but in, instead of, I, I, I guess, I don't know. Um, I guess it affects Eldar a lot because now, you know, instead of Dark Eldar Primary versus Eldar Primary, where the two lists are kind of similar. But they took different units. It's just going to be like Eldari primary. I don't know, and, and, and that's something I thought I, I didn't. I haven't put a ton of thought into. Obviously, Pablo, I was just the, just thinking the, about it. The lists are going to be the same. It's just the, what they yes. score on is going to be different, right? But and but what people are going to see is also going to be different too, right? So it, it's it's people are going to see Imperial Soup, Imperium, Imperium, Imperium versus Knights. Astro Militarum Space Marines. Oh, you're just right? talking Which, about like in BCP, right? Like, in, well, okay. and what we're going to be reporting to is we're not going to say we're not going to say like, oh, uh, you know, Jim Vessel won Adepticon with Chaos Demons. We're going to say Jim Vessel won with Chaos Soup, right? Because that's that's just what BCP says, and that's what he's going to be scored. So it. You know, it is what people are going to be seeing, which is, I, I think, in a lot of ways, people what people are already seeing anyways. I, I, I guess the majority of, like, casually competitive people, right? So when I would go, like, oh, Jim Vessel won Adepticon with Chaos Demons, um, a lot of people would just look at that and go, no, actually, he just won with Chaos Soup. And so that's just going to officially, you know, show Chaos Soup instead of Chaos Demons. Um, but, you know, it's just just a thought. It wasn't something that I was like, oh, no, the sky is falling. But. Mm-hmm. I'm Anyways. still going to be reporting primaries as as whatever they are. Like it's not going to change like what I do or I'm sure okay. what other people do. I mean BCP. I'm sure yes, you'll see just like Eldari or uh, Imperium or whatnot. But it is what it is. I don't I don't think that's a, a major uh, like game changer really. I think mm. the really funny scenario that could end up coming and it's just whatever because again it's there's going to be people that no matter. I mean, this is what they voted for, so it's fine. It's not like a now. It's not like Brexit. It's not like the world gets worse <laughs> afterwards, and we're like really mad at them. But um, I am going to laugh when at the end of the year it is like the same faction people that took soup every single time, and then and then like Falcon said, they just for the last few GTs literally just went and took their one faction and, and won you know 35, 40 man person tournament because a lot of the people that actually care about taking pure lists year long 
the most part, they're not winning GTs. Um, the new ITC scoring does mean that winning at, at RTs, placing, is going to get you more points. But I do think it could create a funny scenario where, like, they tried for it, and it's still just literally somebody very competitive just took a couple tournaments and, you know, did that. Hmm. Um, for the factions yeah. that it matters, which is basically just Imperium and Chaos, by the way. Yes. Uh, everybody else, like, all Xenos for the most part, they're they're fine. It, it's the same. It's exactly what it was. Well, I think Eldar, too, right? Because I, I don't think... Yeah. I can't think of any pure competitive Eldar lists, except with the exception of an occasional like Dark Eldar list that would make uh, it. I mean, oh, we're about a... to kill Yanari, so after that, it'll get pretty bad. Yeah. And true. I believe that a pure Craft Worlds list actually won a GT this past weekend. You are correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For the yeah. first time. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's go ahead and jump right into that perfect segue, Sean. It's like you've done this before. Whoa. This guy. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and talk about the first tournament results. Uh, and I deleted my show notes. Okay, there we go, Rick. The Armacon, Armacon, 38 players was a GT. And a quick note about these. Peter, do you want to explain where we're getting these new stats from and where people can follow along? Oh, sure. So I d I've made some updates to 40kstats.com, and I'm uh, going to be doing more of them as the next week progresses, just to clean it up, make it nicer. Um, but what I have started doing is um, I've uh, increased... Uh, implemented a ticker tape on, on the website where you can scroll through and see the last month's worth of tournaments, see the top four from every tournament, and uh, click on the name to actually see what list they brought. Um, you can download a, like a document file with it in there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's super cool. Um, it, it, very intuitive. He's got the top four lists on there. Uh, so if you just go take a second, if you're driving, obviously don't do this, but go to 40kstats.com. If you're on your PC or laptop, uh, click on the Armacon results, which is the one right after Adepticon, and you'll be able to look at the top four and look at all four lists. Uh, I'm just going to talk about the first list, and if you guys want to go into and talk about the three other lists, you can. Um, but Mr. Um, um, Emil Esper Espigrin, I'm going to... Sorry, buddy. EE. E. Nailed it. Mr. Double, Mr. Double E with Astra Militarum <laughs> uh, won with uh, a brigade, a Kadishan brigade with Colonel Ironstrock and three company commanders. Uh, a billion infantry squads, two astropaths and a storm priest, three armored sentinels with plasma cannons, which is a little weird, uh, three mm -hmm. by three mortars, and then three shield captains on Don Eagle jet bikes with hurricane bolters and a knight Castellan. Um, so this is, is your kind of your typical Castellan list, uh, a little different in in terms of of the shield captains instead of blood angels or war guard, um, but. Basically, a Castellan list, a variant of the Castellan list, uh, got first place. And mm -hmm. Peter, what what uh, format were they using for Armicon? Uh, Armicon was a Norwegian tournament, and they used uh, Nova missions and Nova rules. Hmm. Okay, this is Nova uh, missions. And just to sort of uh, mention really briefly, the the armored sent with the plasma cannon is actually kind of the default guard fast attack for a brigade these days. Uh, mm -hmm. It's only five points over the multi laser, so it's a really cheap upgrade. And you kind of stick that guy in cover to hang out somewhere. It's got two up armor at that point uh, and six wounds, toughness six. So it's a pretty tough little bunker that is shooting some AP3 shots across the board. Um, it's not like amazing or anything, but for 40 points, you can't ask for a lot more. Yeah, it's cheap as chips. You don't care if someone kills it. And yeah. um, if you if you get any use out of it, you win. Yeah. Anyone. All right. And then a uh, special shout out to the other three, the other players in the top four, uh, Adam, Ingvar, and 
Kietil, uh, playing Tao Tao <laughs> and then a Dark Eldar Drukari. Um, man, I just love those Norwegian names. It's going to nail them. Us every Americans time. Are, are really culturally broad and diverse. Yeah. Especially you know, that, these... that Adam name, super Norwegian. <laughs> yeah, does that, it, where does that come from? What's the history mm. on that? What's the basis on that? These names were in Spanish. Different. All right. <laughs> uh, moving on to the like BG this. Classic 2, uh, Mr. Scott Horace, uh, one with also Astro Militarum. And uh, he was running um, something I'm seeing a lot more of, which which is Knight Commander Pask and a brigade with three tank commanders, all battle all battle cannons uh, with three heavy bolters. Uh, so you're kind of default stock Lehman Russ. Uh, only six infantry squads, three platoon commanders, three scout sentinels with auto cannons, uh, three by three heavy weapon mortar teams, and then a Knight Gallant, and then an Officio Assassinorum Execution Force which is quickly becoming one of my favorite detachments, uh, which is basically one of each assassin, a Calidus, Eversor, Vindicare, and a Calexus assassin. Um, so this is kind of a, an interesting uh, list. You, you see the scout sentinels with the auto cannons, um, which is which is different, but it's really the four tank commanders um, that that's really kind of standing out to me. So I've, I've seen a lot more people move towards the Lehman Russ. Uh, do, you, do you all know why people are moving to the Lehman Russ? Uh, is it just a more durable shooting platform? You, you know, what, what's the deal here? Well, the um, new Emperor's Fist uh, uh, specialist attachment is really good, and that, uh, yeah. that definitely boosts the Lehman Rust tank commander. They've seen quite the increase, basically starting with LVO. I mean, LVO, I think there were something like 80 or 90 tank commanders that were brought. Wow. Um, so uh, yeah, so, uh, like, people are taking two or three in their list. Pask is a uh, kind of. Uh, uh, a flavor that it isn't seen as often. Usually it's just three kind of plain Jane, one or two with battle cannons mm. and one or two with punishers. But. So his army lists the brigade as Katishan, but he's including Pask, who is Cadian. I'm hoping that was just a mistake. Like, Maybe uh, it was yeah, a mistake. I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, he yeah. could easily have just meant Cadian instead uh, there, but that is not an uncommon sort of list error. Uh, including a special character with the wrong alignment. Hmm. But yeah, Pask is really just a tank commander plus one. Um, if you're if you are Cadian, you may as well take him instead. Uh, and the battle cannon is a really really versatile gun. Uh, doesn't put out amazing numbers against anything, but with the triple heavy bolters, you can kind of just spray shots out and be pretty effective against targets of just about any weight. Because even like a knight, you're wounding on fives with those heavy bolters, and you got the minus one AP, so you're really chipping away. Man, you're shooting twice, like forever. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that is a lot of battle cannon shots. Yeah, and I mean, the relic battle cannon's quite good. It's essentially a ranged yeah. thunder hammer, and the uh, stratagem that lets them basically move their full... Uh, and still shoot also quite good like mm -hmm. they gives you that little bit of mobility you need sometimes yeah yeah uh and then uh congratulations to the mustache himself mr shane watts uh getting second place with adeptus custodes uh chris chris with space wolves and then rounding out the top four brandon phillips with uh also adeptus custodes um yeah. and i, I would imagine Good. Sorry, this was the first tournament uh, that I saw anybody using um, Shadow Spear units, so mm. um, that was that was interesting. Uh, Shane Watts did run ten infiltrators in his custodies list as a, a um, Blood Angels battalion to go with him. Mm. Huh. So it was, it was very interesting. Yeah. So so infiltrators are, are are actually they're expensive. They're they're two scout snipers each in points cost. 
mm-hmm. um, but they're they're roughly you know a little more durable, less fire damage output because obviously it's one shot versus two. Um, but that twelve inch bubble is really good. I don't know if you need the full ten. I would I would maybe even do like six or, or seven or. Well, he had two units five. of five, so I mean okay. when you're. And he had a palace grav, so that gives him a lot of um, charge protection. Uh, in my yeah. mind, at least, I haven't talked to him about it. I want to, um, but it, it's similar to some a couple lists that I've been playing with, with uh, having infiltrators kind of take your flanks with the palace in the middle. So you know they're not your orcs or whatnot. Generally, aren't going to deep strike the sides because they're not going to make it in their charge. So they have to come in the front. You're kind of funneling people in the in a certain direction. At least in my mind, that's how that plays out. Who knows how he actually? What's the rest it. of the custodians for his list? Um, he had a. Shield Captain on Don Eagle Jet Bike, uh, a unit of six Praetors, a unit of five, the Palace, uh, Vexilla Magnifica, and then he had a Smash Captain, a Librarian Dreadnought, two squads of Infiltrators, and a squad of Scouts. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. You're going to yeah. see a lot more of the Beta Custody stuff, which is really fun. Like, I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of lists are going to have Telemans. Yeah. A lot of Caladius, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've been seeing quite a bit uh, of the uh, Caladius showing up now and the Teleman. Um, and the occasional palace, I think the palace probably should see more play than it does, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked we haven't seen more of They were sold out at LVO, so I'm guessing it's one of those yeah, things where, that's... again, they're just being painted and assembled right now. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, Russia can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of the dreadnought with the with the sword and board dreadnought? Oh, not uh, the Achilles. The Galatus, yeah. We we had a local player run through like three nights with one of those guys. <laughs> um, he just he just basically carried the entire custodian's army on his back. I imagine it's probably not super playable. You don't see it a it's whole lot. It's pretty playable. I don't it's know just that it's about more it, expensive so. than the other one, which is a little bit silly. It's like that one's 160 points or so, and the, the spear yeah. is 140, which is dirt cheap for what it does. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I'd like the spear nothing. better. I mean, the 4 plus invuln is nice on the, the sword and board, but strength 7 for attacks versus strength whatever, 14 or 16 or whatever it is on the other one. 16, yeah. 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 Er, okay. No, 14, but... Still. The, the honest answer is the Spear Dread's also kind of silly, but it's just, it's 140 points. It has a feel no pain. Yeah. It does hit like a truck if it gets there. And because it's got the D6 damage, but minimum three. So it's pretty, it's pretty yeah. guaranteed to, to wallop. And then it's actually kind of funny because it has eight shots at strength five minus one, one damage at range 12. Yep. So it puts out some DACA as well. Yeah, but don't get me started on how silly the stats are on its spear. It's strength eight minus two D three damage D three shots. <laughs> yeah, Gigantic spear, bigger than shot. the dreadnought, shoots around. That is terrible. <laughs> uh, and then moving on to the largest DT we're going to be talking about uh, in down under Ratcon, uh, mm-hmm. Mister Josh Brody won with Death Watch. Uh, now I know Death Watch have had success down in Australia. It's a little more than Death Watch out here in the States, although it doesn't mean Death Watch are a bad faction necessarily. Um, I've just noticed that Australian terms do have a lot more successful Death Watch players. But this oh. Death Watch list is more different than the ones I've seen, even the ones in Australia. Right, so it's pretty cool. Um, he's got a, a Watch Captain, a Watch Master, a bunch of veterans, or a big veteran squad with Storm Bolters, Storm Shield veterans, uh, and three Terminators with Storm Bolters, so, and a Biker. With the teleport homer, uh, yeah. and then another copy, exact copy of that veteran unit, and then a smaller veteran unit with, I think, just two terminators instead of three. It's it's the same size. He just swapped out a terminator for oh, another okay. vet. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and then, um, so he's got six of those units, right? Five. Five. five yeah, units. he has five uh, vet units with uh, either two or biker. three terminators. Bike. It's the, like the, your standard mixed 
uh, veteran squad. So you get a little bit of everything. Um, the only thing he's doing different than you're seeing in, in some of the more successful lists um, is he didn't take the um, the missile launcher terminators, mm-hmm. which like Jeremy mm-hmm. Martino and Christopher Wright, I believe his name was, um, who won a couple tournaments in Australia had been taking. Um, so he doesn't have a lot of anti-vehicle in the list. Um, I think he's he's relying a lot on his Smash Captain and um, Celestine to do that work. Yeah. Um, so the second part is uh, he's got an Order of the Bloody Rose Sisters of Battle detachment uh, with the Canonists, um, with the Stormbolter as well, Celestine, and three Battle Sister squads. And then finally, a battalion with a Legion company commander, an Legion battalion with uh, three drop troopers with Lasguns. So mm-hmm. just, you know, your basic loyal 32 ish. Variant but they can deep strike. Yeah, but they can deep strike. Yes. Exactly, they're a lesion. Uh, so, you know, it, it's different in the sense that it's it's not he isn't getting fancy at all. It's just fifty stormbolter dudes with it's fifty death watch stormbolter dudes with Celestine and a Canonist, and and that's it. And that's just like it, it. It's kind of the perfect counter to the Australian Horde meta in a way. Um, yeah, really hard. That to is. Kill. I'm sure that's a large reason, part of why he took it, is, like, in Australia, horde armies, especially, like, 150, 200, 250 infantry, are much more common than they are here in the States. Um, That tournament also used uh, battle points as a scoring system and did some other weird stuff with the missions, which is why he has some of the, a little more different things going on in there. Yeah, Um, because it was ITC missions, but they swapped out the bonus point for a different bonus um, objective like their yeah. own setup and then when they scored after scoring they swapped to battle points like they they translated the itc scores to battle point scores so it, it did lead to some interesting um matchups in the last couple of rounds i mean he was undefeated um as were the mm-hmm. second and third place players um sean actually um did commentary on the finals for this tournament yeah, the the final matchup was uh, his list versus a Chaos Neiman's army uh, that was had some very interesting play going on. It was a really cool video. If you check out uh, the Down Under Pairings Twitch stream, they should have all that still up and available. Uh, and it's it's a very interesting matchup to see how both both players kind of come to the table with it. Um, but it does kind of showcase some of the issues his list can run into as the Plague Hulk, the crappy Nurgle Forge World unit. Uh, almost ruined the game for him because he just had no good way to kill it. Uh, Bolters do not wound T8 very well. Yeah. Basically, Matt Morisoli, who was playing, who was number one Australian last year, Mm -hmm. uh, he ran, uh, he summoned a Plague Hulk as a way to try and, like, stop the bloodshed. And it really did work because, like, a tough eight vehicle with with a feel no pain against this list, it just worked. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And, and, Overall, though, it was a really good, uh, really good meta call. Um, if you look at the top three other lists, you've got uh, D- Chaos Demon's list, w- which is Dean Sin Sinbeck's list. Yeah. Um, he's got three Bloodletter bombs with sixty Bloodletters, you know, a bunch of Brimstone Horrors, and then a bunch of Cultists, and then characters to kind of fill everything in. Um, so really, really, really kind of hordy Chaos Demon list. Uh, and then of course Matt Morsoli's list you talked about was the finals, mm-hmm. and then Josh McMillan was running. Um, I don't want to say your typical orc list because he had the the unit of mega knobs in there, um, but you know a lot of boys, Ludas, weird boy, you know, kind of like your your standard orc stuff plus mega knobs. Yeah, um, basically. Now, one thing for Josh Brody's credit, I mean, he's uh, the game that got him into the finals. He played against like standard uh, Eldar flyer spam and won. 
um, which is a list that this list shouldn't do super well against, at least not in my mind. Um, apparently, turn three, he boots on the ground the guy, was was how he won. Makes sense. Wow. But, yeah. So, it is it is hard. It is a, I, I won't say that it's an easy matchup for him, um, but I have had experience just with Grey Knight Strike Squads and reroll ones with Gilliman, um, shooting down Eldar Flyers with just an insane amount of shots, because if those Flyers get close to you, that many shots can take down yeah. one flyer a turn for sure, um, especially with the Watchmaster with B-rolls. Um, so I think it's more of a skill matchup than it looks on paper. Um, and it is really hard to chew through that many three-up invulns for the Eldar Flyers. Yeah. Right? So, and then, you know, so it, you know, I would have loved to have seen that game too. Um, but yeah, very interesting list. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised we don't see more lists like it down here. I mean, um, we do we see a... Death Watch with fairly similar setups making we do. high places right. so that was yeah. 50 it's guys not... specifically yeah 50 is the exact list a lot <laughs> yeah there a was an obvious list that brought 50 um but yeah it's, it's not super common you don't see that that combo with sisters and with um yep. lesions of all things usually that third uh would be something to deal with vehicles like knights um, mm-hmm. so yeah very intriguing list i liked it right uh, and and then finally, uh, while we're on Death Watch, a uh, little insider pro tip from Nick Nadavati. Um, he we're, he's currently working with me to build a list post FAQ, um, and he is super hyped on Death Watch as a primary detachment in the best Imperium list. Hmm. Um, so you know we're gonna wait for after the FAQ to talk about it, but he's he's really hyped up. He thinks that Death Watch are primed to take in the meta, although that is something they said before. So <laughs> you know take that with a grain of salt. Um, but I think I agree with him. Death Watch looked pretty good, and um, we might maybe see some major wins with Death Watch in the future. Uh, all right, the Cutthroat GT. <clears throat> well, we're going to go ahead and talk about that next. Um, sorry, the lost my my thing. Delete your tab accident. Anyways, Daniel Bradley won with Azuryani. Uh, he had the an Alitok battalion with Azerman Baharoth. 15 Dire Avengers, 10 Swooping Hawks, 2 Fire Prisons, which I'm, I'm super hyped on, uh, Ulthway Detachment with Eldrad, Spirit Seer, a unit of 20 Guardians, uh, and then an Airwing Detachment with a Crimson Hunter Exarch and 2 Hemlock Wraith Fighters. Uh, so this was the pure craft world list that Sean was talking about. Um, and he's actually got he's got Azerman and Baharoth, which, which you don't see too often. Um, Sean, what were you thinking when you when you saw this list? So he's definitely got some good stuff in here. Like, obviously, the the Eldar Flyers are excellent. No one is going to argue otherwise. Um, I've played with Fire Prisms in the past. They are quite good. Um, I'm a little surprised he's only running two, not a third one, because they really had a kind of multiplicative effectiveness, um, because you have that one stratagem that lets them all get re-rolls against a single target. Um, Baharoth is actually fairly solid. Um, I was very surprised when he got his points break. He's down to 110 points. He causes mortal wounds when he drops in. He's got a multi-damage strength 5 weapon and a strength 5 gun. Uh, And he buffs nearby Swooping Hawks, and Swooping Hawks are great. Um, A sermon's not bad, but I'm not as impressed by him as some people like Reese really likes him. I think he's okay. Um, he's he's kind of just using a bunch of fairly good uh, craft world stuff here. Um, 
and I'm not sure exactly what his his general plan with the list is, but he's got quite a bit of shooting and just enough melee to kind of hold things off, and Eldrad is just a great utility piece. Uh, so I can, I'm not like shocked this is one a GT, because Craft Worlds are a good army. Uh, they have a lot of good stuff. Uh, and then uh, congratulations to Nick Sutherland, Andrew Jennings, and Zach Kerstetter uh, for winning with Orcs, Imperial Knights, and Harlequins. And I actually had a question for Jeff on Andrew Jennings' Imperial Knights list. Mm. Um, so he had two Night Crusaders, Housecrafts, Night Crusaders, uh, and one Housecrafts, Night Gallant. And that's something that more people are kind of flocking towards is the Housecraft thing, especially um, in the you know with FAQ looming. And he's also got three shield captains, uh, two on jet bikes, and one just with the Guardian Spear and a Misericordia. Uh, and then he's got the the HQ, or the, the Rusty 17 is what people are calling it, which is the Admech Battalion. So my question to you is, you said a long time ago that it's that they have the best troops, Admech have probably the best troops, and it's probably one of the best battalions. Um, why why is that the case when you when you could take like 30 wounds and a Loyal 32 instead? For, so I think, which is the... Points? Um, which Forge world is he doing with the... He's uh, doing Grya, the Grya. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing too, and I really like it. So first of all, it's 165 points for the full battalion, which is... Cheap. 15 points less, which isn't the biggest of deals, but if you are you know, writing those lists, sometimes those 15 points can be the difference between a Knight uh, Crusader and, and something else. It could be a pretty big deal. I don't know that that's the case here, but... Uh, Grya is my new favorite love, though, because they have the 24-inch off of their infantry, which is the entire battalion, 4-plus deny psychic. Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely There's... massive. It's it's something yeah. that catches people way off guard. Um, I've had people with, like, plus 1 or 2 on their psychic powers roll, like, a 14 on, you know, move-again powers or prescience and these things that they really need to get off or doom. And you just absolutely shut it down with that, and it completely changes and alters their game plan. So it's just one of those things that's way up there in terms of its impact on the game. Um, and yeah. the knights are just very command point heavy, so you want that battalion anyways. Um, and then Gry also has a very funny thing. So when you do a full detachment of battalion of them, you get their chapter tactic, obviously. And that is, after they die, you just roll a dice on a 6+, plus. they just don't die. So it's not a feel of pain, because... Feel the pain if you did like nine damage to somebody. They're gonna have to make nine of those saves against. Uh, you could do 150 damage to one of their troops. The guy falls over. Roll a dice on a six. He gets up. Are you sure that's how it works? I'm sure about everything in life, Sean. So if you okay, have any I, other questions? <laughs> let me know. I will answer I, all of them. I, I, I was, that was not my understanding of how the rule works. Yeah, it says when you remove the model, roll a dice, and on a sure. six plus, they refuse to die. But if you take a Laz Cannon you, and, you know, it does five damage to you, you would be removed five times because each of those damages kills you. I don't believe that's the case. I, I, I'm not positive about it. It's it's certainly something that we probably don't need to argue about here, but I, I'm not positive that is how it is necessarily interpreted. Oh, we're going to have a big argument episode It's literally next not week, a philippine. Sure. It literally What's says... All right. Uh, so you take a wound, and the wound has damage to it. It's not individual wounds, right? So if you took several shots and you failed the first one, no, you don't get to ignore the other three shots. But if each shot is D3 damage and you die to the first shot, uh, well, it's getting more complicated here. But the point is... Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think this is really the the place to discuss it. That's okay. You don't understand. It's it's one of those many... Kind of like saying the word meta or whatever. It's just going to be like something that you struggle with, I guess. (laughs) Got him! (laughs) Jeff! That's okay, I'll listen to your pronunciations once you win a tournament. Ooh, 
All right. I have won tournaments. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah in, in the past, I believe. <laughs> this, this uh, year. Well, Jeff. everyone's won tournaments in the past. What are you saying? <laughs> oh, I win tournaments in the future, Jeff. Ooh, oh, well, shit. Then dang. That's, yeah, you got me there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Jeff, we are actually correct on that 165 points. Um, if you add up his Custodius attachment and his Imperial Knights attachment, and then you throw in a Loyal 32, he's mm-hmm. exactly 15 points short of an Assassin. Yeah, uh, which he also points. has. And he has, yeah, he has a little blurb at the bottom, Operative Requisition, which I imagine is his, you know, uh, nerdy way of saying he brought 85 points for an Assassin. Mm-hmm. So there's that, which I think and is Every is, Imperium is list should, by the way. I, yes. I, I can't understand any list that will ever not be at 1915 or so. Yeah. yeah Operative it, Requisition is what the stratagem's called. And, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And yeah, I think it's right now we're at 72%. I'm tracking it just for because I figured it would be a thing. So seventy two percent of imperialists since it's become legal have been That's running small? the assassin. Yeah, there's a lot of twenty eight percent people that love their fluffy pure knights lists and such, I guess. <laughs> well hang on. Fluffy? I think it's hey. very fluffy to hire an assassin. Like it's that's I don't know. I don't know how fluffy it is. I mean it's pretty me? hard. It's I, really hard to hire an assassin. I don't know. I mean how many assassins are there in forty K there's so that every single war zone and every single battle fought, or I guess 72% of them, um, which is still a lot of battles, has one assassin. At and least one. And almost all of them are either Vindicares or Kalidus assassins. I think you're trying yep. to make a joke, but it's Pablo's, so it's really hard to tell. But like, uh, it's <laughs> right. not anti-fluffy to hire an assassin as an Imperial Absolutely. Army. And that was my Just point. Just a joke. <laughs> yeah. Also, Anyways. you can't hire assassins. They don't work for money. <laughs> True story. Yeah. Well, you requisite them, I guess. You got, yes. got contact them. the <laughs> requisite assassins. Um, okay, well, let's go ahead and talk about the next tournament, the Tau Tipping uh, GT. Congratulations to Mister Colin Sherman, um, mm-hmm. from Best in Faction Podcast, winning that with Gene Steeler Colts. Who? Uh, Jeff has gone on records with saying Gene Steeler Colts are not the best faction in the world. We'll leave it at I that. I think that's a that's not what I said. I said they're one of the hardest codexes to win with mm. but if you can master it if you can do well with it you can do very well and i thought juice's list at adepticon was really inspiring and cool yeah well, I, I might have misheard you i i definitely got more of a negative impression but i am also poplo i get stuff wrong all the time it's perfectly okay the so, negative impression is that it's not the codex that i was hoping for it's, uh, i see it's very it has a lot of feels bad built into it but if you take eight saws and you unit a 20 and you make your entire <laughs> list about giving them a re-rollable seven inch charge then it's probably pretty good so Colin, I think, is running though the Gene Circle list that I kind of expected. Um, yeah, and this is actually a Tyranid primary. I think this was my mistake when I typed it up. But okay, uh, God yeah. damn it! Yeah, Peter. so it's eight hundred points of It's okay. Eight hundred points of Nids. Seven hundred points of Forearmed Emperor. You're one month, you know, delayed. Yeah, I get it. You've mm-hmm. taken a one month hiatus. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, guys. Past. I'm off my game. I'm really sorry. <laughs> so yeah. he's he's got a. At a four-armed emperor battalion, like you mentioned, with a patriarch, a primus of the bone sword, uh, three units of brood brothers, ten, ten aberrants with eight power picks and two heavy improvised weapons, a clamavis, a keller morph, a tyranids, kraken battalion with the swarm lord, a brood lord, twenty gene slayers, fifteen gene slayers, and a unit of ripper swarms to round out that troop choice, and then finally an astro militarum, brood brothers, airwing detachment with three vulture gunships, mm-hmm. uh, and that is that is the list. Um, you know, when I played Colin at the BAO last summer, uh, he mentioned that he had a hard time, you know, reaching out and killing things with, with his tier yeah. list. And it was very similar. It had the Swarm Lord, it had a bunch of Gene Steelers, it had a lot more 
fearless bodies and gaunts. Um, but he also deep struck two flyerants down, and they, those are kind of what he used to harass the field. And it kind of worked. Um, the the, the flyerants are are okay at killing like like guard squads and things like that. Um, but it, I didn't really worry about him too much. But I imagine a vulture is something I would definitely oh, this, worry about. This list is very cool. It's yes. you, you can't mm-hmm. bring in the. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't bring in the gene circle stuff turn one anyway. So the flyers are going to absolutely decimate whatever the screen is, and it's going to open up that space, and they're guaranteed. Like, it's it's pretty preposterous if someone's like, wow, I can't believe my 10 guardsmen survived that volley. It's like, no, they're, <laughs> they're pretty super dead. Yeah. And the nice thing about this list, too, that I really like is even if that's somehow not the case, the Swarm Lord's going to slingshot 20 or 15 Gene Sears at your face, and they yeah. fly across the table. So not only are they a threat, and they're kind of hard to remove at tough four with a 5 open bullet. I'm not... Obviously not super durable, but they're just not the easiest thing to kill either. Mm-hmm. Um, they will also clean up screens, and they will get into your face. And then that's when... And I love that his list has the 10 Aberrants, because you'll notice that Juice didn't have that, because unless your list is about cleaning screens, that's one of those feel-bad moments I was talking about, where, like... Because I've been experimenting with, like, Hive Guard and, and Mortars. You know, people are loving their 25 Mortars or whatever, but sometimes Mortars, especially as Brood Bros, where they don't get all the rerolls they managed to not kill shit. And you're like, hang on, is it turn two and I can't bring my aberrants into a good target? Yeah. Well, that's a real feel-bad moment. But this list, it's just about guaranteed to clean out the stuff that would stop the aberrants from charging what they want to charge. So in his list, he's probably perfect ambushing them for a D6 towards his opponent and then stringing out to the canvas for a plus one on that. It's just about a guaranteed charge. Yeah. Uh, interesting note, Colin has actually been adjusting this list in the time since then. He's oh. no longer running the Vultures in the more Whoa. recent incarnations. Uh, so here's the thing about the Vultures. They are great at clearing screens. They're also very vulnerable in certain matchups. If you play that Eldar Flyer spam list, they just come to pieces instantly. Yeah, um, and that is one of the matchups that he's been very worried about. Um, he's actually shifted over, instead of the Vultures, he runs three units of 20 Brood Brothers um, and some guys who, the um, Militarum Tempestus uh, commander, uh, who can deep strike in and give them orders. Um, because 60 guys, first rank, second ranking, with reroll ones to hits, is a lot of damage. Yeah. Yep. So that's what some of the lists on the East Coast have been doing. And I, it's a lot of DAC, it's a lot of bodies, it's very mm-hmm. cool. Uh, and then, like I said, the Gene Stairs should still slingshot towards you. And if you just tried to zone yeah. out with, with some scouts or something like that, they're going to die. It's kind of expensive. Um, I I totally understand his concern with the flyers against like Eldar in particular. And right mm-hmm. now, one of the things we were talking about at Adepticon is that a lot of the Eldar lists are shifting towards one Hemlock and two Crimson Hunters or whatever, some mixture of that. Of that. Yeah. And that would be a bad matchup because they, they can't even shoot the flyers. Like if they shoot the flyers, it's comically bad for them to do that. Yep. And then they just absolutely die for free. It's not even close. So I understand that. And that's where he's playing, which is mostly in the Northwest. There are a lot of Eldar players. And those Eldar players are going to be taking those flyers. Yeah. 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 The second place list was, I think, five, seven? Seven. Yeah, yeah seven, seven flyers. Yeah, Mr. Zach Nelson. Uh, and then rounding out the top four, Justin Whitmore and Mason Moore. A couple of really good orc players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so congratulations, Colin. If you want to check out you know his story. Go to Best in Faction Podcast. Give him a listen. Mitch also. Uh, all right. Uh, moving on to the final GT, the Springhole GT. Uh, this is the um, 
most or was was a one GT this weekend, uh, won by Mr. James McKenzie, uh, another Gene Stiller Colt player, also running three Vulture gunships, uh, nice. with on top of that a Cult of the Four Armed Emperor Battalion with an Acolyte Icon Ward, a Magus, a Patriarch. It's a brigade, but yeah. Oh, uh, sorry, a brigade. Um, three Acolyte Hybrids, three units of Acolyte Hybrids with. Or sorry, two units of ten acolyte hybrids with four rock saws, a unit of nine acolyte hybrids with hand flamers on each of them, three five man acolyte hybrid units, uh, and a unit of six aberrants with six power picks and one heavy. Uh, actually, he doesn't actually see how many it's, aberrants it's are in it. It's seven of them. Seven. Six, six with six picks, power one picks, with the one the stops on the weapon. Got it. Climavis, a killer morph, five jackals with demolition charges, four unit four jackals with one demolition charge, an armored sentinel with a multi laser. Three by three heavy weapon mortar teams, uh, and then finally a Magus and a Primus, and three Brood Brothers in a loyal thirty-two did battalion, Gene Circles battalion. Uh, and that's yeah. the list. Um, so, a mm. lot more, definitely a lot more bodies. Um, still got the Vulture gunships in there. It, you do you think that if you were to take the Vulture gunships, do you think this list would be less susceptible to Eldar flyers because of all the Acolyte hybrids and? <laughs> And aberrants and the jackals, or is this just still like more um, the same? I don't think this one matches up as well. It doesn't have the gene stealers to slingshot forward in the early turns. So on turn one, this list has absolutely nothing to threaten uh, mini armies with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the gunships are going to chew up screens, but you're probably not dealing any real damage to their heavy lifters. Uh, you're needing to wait until turns two and three. And if they have really resilient screens, like a, uh, a Kaddishan Brigade or something like that, you're not going to kill all their screens on turn one um even with your mortars and gunships and everything so it may be turn three before your aberrants come in and if they're really good at screening and positioning you may have to bring your aberrants in with their screens intact Hmm. which is a terrible i mean yes that's a very bad place to be um because like if you're yeah if you're playing that Cadishan brigade and castellan list and you bring in the aberrants and aren't able to hit the castellan those aberrants are dead yeah <clears throat> and then finally, I just wanted to give a shout out to Mr. Simon Miller, who went second uh, with Imperium Soup featuring Space Wolves, uh, just a battalion or a Vanguard detachment of Space Wolves with almost 20 Wolfen in them, all with oh. Thunder Hammers and Storm Shields, which is yeah. what pretty a crazy. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Loyal 32 and then uh, Death Watch Battalion with Veteran Squads, uh, Watchmaster and a Librarian with a Jump Pack and a Force Axe. Yeah, um, I believe he actually named this list. How many three plus invulnerable saves can I make? Sounds about title. right. Enough to get second place. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and then one assassin, of course. Where was this uh, GT located? Springhole GT. I don't actually know. And I don't remember. I kind of go. attribute the three vulture gene circle thing to the to Washington. So I'm, just, I, I'm kind of curious if that's like where it staunchly is. Well, John Lennon had been running it for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, he's a Florida man. Um, and I think he passed on that knowledge to uh, oh. Colin and crew, uh, and they've taken it and spread the word, and it's now He's become... He's a Florida man? Yep. Okay, well, I don't respect it anymore, then. Jeez. <laughs> it's going to be mean, the least harsh Florida man, fair. you know, thing. At least, anyways. No. Well, we don't know about his personal life. We just have to now assume because he's from Florida. Yeah, what it's exactly. like. Hold on, Pablo. Carrying six miniguns to a tournament is not a Florida man move? Because I think it is. <laughs> 
Touche. Okay, fair enough. It is uh, if he then punches his grandmother or something like that. I think <laughs> yes. Or eats a, like a live Florida, squirrel in front Florida of Florida man yeah. attends 40k tournament and punches grandmother in face. Let me just say mm-hmm. this, by the way, because I'm joking. There was a, a time where I did like a Texas accent during one of these podcasts. Oh, I yeah. I actually got upset about that. Like, I don't think te- uh, Florida people punch their grandmothers any more than Oregonian men punch their grandmothers or whatever. So just put, if you still get upset, fair enough. Fair well, enough. You're in Florida and I'm in California. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> All right. They'll throw Moving oranges on. at you. <laughs> to the main topic, which I think is like the duo main topic or the co-main topic, so to speak. Uh, and that is talking about command points and strat talk. Uh, so the reason why I wanted to talk about this uh, was basically this is a, a topic I've always wanted to talk about. Um, and it's something that, that's been a, a little bit more talked about lately. Uh, just with the rise of the new Vigilus Ablaze stuff uh, and us getting access to more stratagems and more CP. Uh, so I kind of wanted to get all of your opinions and personal philosophies on on what stratagems are good, how many command points are good for your specific armies, um, how many command points is too few, too many. Uh, although I, don't, I think we could all agree that maybe not any amount of command points isn't too many command points. Um Depends but, on what you're giving up to get it. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so to start off the the roundtable discussion, uh, how much command points is is too little command points uh, when you're building your own personal army? So let, let's say, fast forward a month from now, you're getting ready for a tournament, building a faction for or an army for whatever you decide, um, whatever you want to talk about. Um, and how much is too little CP? Where's the minimum that you guys will go? That depends a lot on what army you're talking about. Some well, armies army are talk about, very reliant. Well, I mean, you take Tau, for example, one of okay. my main armies. Tau need a lot of CP to function effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the things that your typical Tau lists do, uh, adding marker light counters for free, kind of distributing them around enemy units, getting plus one to wound, those can be very marker light intensive. It's not unreasonable to expect to burn through seven command points a turn in a Tau list um if you're doing that you need a lot of command points which means you're probably going to run double or triple battalion um and there are a lot of other armies who do the same orcs gene stealer cult uh a lot of these armies can easily eat up huge piles of command points if you let them so I would say as a general rule, um, I don't like having an army whose base CP is below 13. That double battalion is kind wow. of what I want. Um, now, that doesn't mean I don't ever do that. My current army does not have that many CP. Um but that depends a lot on the army in particular. Some armies need CP more than others. Uh, and, and to... To real quick, before Jeff and Peter weigh in, to harken back to an old topic we talked about, if you guys remember the power rankings episode, we talked about how important troop choices were uh, yeah. to determining how you know how good a faction is on a competitive level, right? So if you have good troop choices, that does correlate to uh, you know where they lie in the power rankings, right? If you're more or less competitive, yeah. uh, with Grey Knights being an example of being a bad army with bad troop choices. Uh, so, and, and I think this is not the only reason, but I think it's one of the bigger reasons, right? Because troop choices mean battalions, which is which means more CP. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm now seeing more Chaos Space Marine squads being sold. And I know that they came out with a new kit, uh, but I'm going to be real here. 
you know, Chaos Space Marines haven't been selling in the secondhand shop for <laughs> a buck a Marine or less for a long time. I've been sitting on a huge stockpile of them and I magically sold, you know, a couple hundred models over a weekend, right? No, they're going to be painted red. They're going to port to Huron Blackheart. Yeah, I was going to say, it turns out earning eight (laughs) command points and infinitely reviving does make that unit good. Right, right. You got your chaotic 17 or whatever they're going to call that battalion. Um, But, you know, it's it's something, and I I don't know if that's the answer for Chaos Space Marines. Like, I don't know if that's, like, the best battalion ever, but it is perceived to be, you know, really good because of 8CP. And on, on the surface, at least, it looks like it's something that people are going to be flocking towards. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously, if you want to buy stuff on the secondhand store now, Chaos Space Marines, they're a buck fifty a model instead of a dollar a model. You know, <gasps> supply, demand, all that stuff. Um, Price now, gouging. <laughs> now it's also a good time to sell me your Chaos Space Marine models too. Uh, <laughs> all right. But that being said, uh, Peter, Jeff, I know you're both Imperium players, but you also do play different kinds of armies. So where 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 do you guys lie on the CP, you know, to stratagem ratio and all that? Uh, well, I just want to reinforce with Chauncey because I think it's a really good point. But like, it just really depends on what you're doing and what army you're playing. That's the that's the building block that you go off of that. Um, it's good general advice to say to aim for thirteen, but it really isn't. Su- and not that Sean was saying this, but it's not applicable to everything, right? So, for instance, Custodius, which of course is uh, something that's coming up more in, in popularity. But if you're running like a mechanized, mechanized like I'm trying three Telemans and you know a shield <laughs> captain and that kind of stuff. Um, you don't need that many command points, and Mm-mm. your list building maybe shouldn't be that many command points. Like instead of making that a battalion, which for custodies is very very expensive, it's 468 points base uh, just for the troops, and then there's two HQ choices. So that's that's a lot of points added on there. Now, of course, they're great troops and they're great HQ, so it's not like you're hurting yourself too terribly. But if you were wanting three Telemans on HQ, that could be your spearhead. Um, and then you can you have more freedom to do other things. Like I, I actually really like guard. I want a lot of auxiliary there, and I'm going to do uh, a lot of you know just a gun line type of thing. So it's, it kind of builds off of that. Um, but at the same time, if you are like, well, I'm a gene circle player, and um, I want to be effective with my gene circle list, you need a lot of command points because most of what they do is enhanced by command points, and it's not just the guys show up and kill stuff with their raw stat line and what they do. Um, of course, there is some of that, but not as much. So I know I'm kind of all over the place with this, but I'm just trying to frame that's got to be your mental mindset. And then some lists do battalions better than others, and it's not attacks at all. Um, we were just talking about the Red Corsair thing. It's so oh, freaking yeah. good. It's yeah. just insane. Yeah. Um, it's not even minimum space marine units. You should probably do one or two minimum, but you do a unit of like 20 or a big block, because yeah. that's going to be your one that you're bringing back over and over again. Mm-hmm. And now people are spending points on upgrading those guys too. Like, put the freaking chain axe in there put a couple of reapers in there like it's yep they get to come back so you're incentivized that way um and i love the synergy of it too the red the red corsair uh chapter tactic is pretty good but then also literally the extra command points incentivizes you taking that battalion anyway so yeah and to to tag on slightly there, think about what stratagems your list needs yes. to use and how expensive they are. You know, Jeff talked about that, the like the Telemon spearhead that really doesn't have any stratagems that it needs to do. Um, maybe you have your HQ there, huck a tangle foot grenade and ruin someone's day, but he's not going to do that four turns out of the game. Um 
So that detachment really doesn't need very many command points, whereas that Gene Stealer cult needs to spend three for Perkrift Ambush, and then probably two more for something else, and two more for this, and one for that. It's burning through a lot of command points, and it needs those command points. Um, hence why you know, we both have kind of agree that like different armies are going to have very different requirements. It's about what stratagems they need to use. Yes. Very strongly agree. Like, for instance, if you write a, you know, the Shane Watts list that has 11 bikes in it, two separate units, if he doesn't yeah. have, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of, and, and he did, he had like two battalions, I think, at least, but you need six or nine command points to very specifically threaten your opponent with the stooping assault. So you can be like, mm -hmm. hey, if you come near these bike units, one of them's going to charge you before you even get to do anything, and that's going to really ruin your day. Yeah. So, yeah. Pete, Pete? I concur. Okay. There's not much else really there is to so, say. Um, I, I play uh, Double Telemann with a Caladius. It's a, a list I've been playing mm. quite a bit recently. Interesting. And I'll start a game with like 5 CP and I don't care. Because right. I'm really like tra uh, Trajan's providing most of my rerolls. Um, mm -hmm. like, and maybe one or two Tanglefoots. The rest is being, the rest of the work is being done by the, the guys up front. Um, and it's something I've been practicing a lot with is really testing what I actually need for CP. I played a game this last weekend with my Death Watch where I brought 18 CP just to see, like, I don't think I need 18. Well, let's just see what yeah. happens. Like, how many do I have at the end of the game? So it, it may not have been the most optimized list, but the concept was, like, what combos can I pull off if, turn four or five comes and I've still got, you know, eight in, in the bag. And is that worth it? Um, and like, yeah. like they, like both Sean and uh, Jeff have said, it, it comes down to like, what is, what is your army trying to do? What awesome stratagems like that can uh, swing a game, like cause that TSN turning point do you have? And are they necessary? Do you really need to use them? Hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I th each of you, I think gave, in my opinion, gave the right, correct, logical answer. Um, awesome. but, but I'm going to I'm going to play devil's advocate here uh, and this. disagree because and, and this is just going off the premise that I actually think that if, if we're playing devil's advocate here, I think that there is a certain CP level that you need to obtain to hit or to be competitive and to make those top tables. Uh, and, and that's only I'm only going off the basis that what is an army that you can think of off the top of your head or a list that didn't make a top four or top five with more or did make yeah didn't make a top four or top five with more than like double digit cps or last less than nova double digit cps smash brothers so so last nova so last smash nova brothers, smash brothers how many cp were taken in that list it was just a battalion so it was just the i think CP. maybe a super uh or what is it the, the hq detachment Supreme. So are you asking uh, which well, one has not taken enough? You feel? Yeah, or yeah. So, so ba basically, my, my point uh, that's, is, is that that's the, super the easy, common... Pablo. Go ahead, Sean. Don Hoosen won BAO with six CP. Okay, that was last summer, also. Sure. Um, which was, you know, but you're right. You're right. And I'm just, I'm just trying to say, like, <laughs> other than those two <laughs> lists. In the 18 bike list that had like its moment to shine yep. for a month or two in the summer had four to start, and it was. Right. Yeah, and so it the, won several. Well, yes. So yeah. all of those did happen in in that time period, um, which I, I I'm sure we can go in and analyze later. Uh, but my point is is that there are a lot more lists than those lists that have double digit CPs or more. Right. Sure. And I think I, I think that if the trend is is I, I think if you were to average the CPs among the top five lists, which I'm sure Peter could do, I think we would see a trend going towards like the 13 to 12 mark. Maybe, oh, I maybe think it's more higher. like eighteen to twenty 18, recently. That's like the average, like 
that's yeah because there's a lot of brigades there's a lot of brigades orcs are doing very well but like once again that goes back to what armies are you playing and what are your combos right and and it also goes to uh what you guys talked about a few weeks ago with you know how codexes have kind of evolved right yes Yes, if you look at the early codexes uh gray knights uh, space marines uh chaos space marines even there wasn't a ton like there was like two or three uh stratagems that you wanted to use right right exactly um and now you're getting codexes where you know the like jackal combo for gene stealer cults which uses like 7 to 9 in one set okay mm-hmm. and, so go ahead peter no that's it i'm just saying like it's it's also a change in the mindset of how this game is being built right so so absolutely and that's that's where i was getting at um so if we operate under that mindset for a second that that cp getting a lot of cp is is important now because there's more stratagems and because stratagems are powerful uh you know i think that 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 answer that oh you know it depends on what army you play i think kind of goes out the window when almost all the competitive armies that you're going to see are still going to need 13 15 cp you know minimum right so i think if we pick a high number of cp like 13 or some arbitrary number 15 and then operate on that assumption, I think we'll be able to get more discourse other than simply saying like, oh, well, it depends on your army. You could run three knights and be happy with six CP, which I think is just not the case. If you want well, to be Flyer spam. Flyer spam's three running about nine. nine yeah. Okay. Um, All right. Well, it was just my attempt well, to, to create a little more discourse other than no, just, it, it depends and, on. Well, and uh, to, to, your, to your credit, Pablo, like, I don't think you're wrong. Like, if we trend towards the higher numbers, you do see a lot more successful lists up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we plotted a graph of CP versus, you know, list success, you would definitely see a spike towards the higher end of that. Um, but not all lists need that. And that is sometimes a mistake I do see people make is like, I uh, was talking to a guy who was building an orc list recently, and he had brigade plus double battalion. Uh huh. That's twenty five CP to start. That's you don't need that much, and well, it's not that you can't use that much. You absolutely can. I see lots of orc players who start with like eighteen CP run out on turn three. But the question is, what are you giving up to get that? Because you are typically making sacrifices from performance units in order to get more CP at that right. point. And orcs, it's an issue. I, I fully agree with Sean. It's just that that's an interesting example because they actually probably could not give up that much to get that many that much CP. Yeah. But the point does become: Do you ever? Is there anyone that's like, man, I I, just, I need the twenty five? Like twenty three or twenty two is just way too few. I just I really start to suffer. It's like I don't think so. Yeah, uh, I think including Gar- orcs who does that better. But like rots, boys, these are some of the best infantry in the game, and they get that. Oh, yeah. So, and then their characters are very good as well. And they also have, and this is uh more to Falcon's point as well, because they're a modern codex. They have some of the best multiple detachments. Um, they're not just like a codex where you look at it and say, well, mm. it's bad moons, and there's nothing else that you take. Like that's the only one you take. That's not the case. They have several that are very, very good. Yeah. So they encourage you to go in that direction as well. Hmm. But to play the devil's advocate to your devil's advocate, <gasps> which is like the double devil, the double devil. Uh, if Don Hooson was on this podcast and it'd be tough because to fit his head in here, you'd have to have like incredible bandwidth. <laughs> but um, he would he would tell you that just about every Death Guard list you could possibly write. That's Don Hooson, necess- by the way. That is him. <laughs> Don Hooson train. It does not necessarily get any better with, like, 13 command points. They just don't. Yeah. 
and it's because they're an older codex. Um, so it's not ever to make the argument like, but Jeff, with more command points, you can do more things. That's correct, but that's where Sean's voice should chime in, and it says, yeah, but what are you giving up for that? So if right. you're squeezing in two more HQs and three troops of whatever, cultists or, or plague marines, to try and get just more CP, you're probably giving up a lot of teeth in a Death Guard list, which already just kind of rubs up against you and infects you. It doesn't really kill things. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the most common pitfalls there, I think, for players is forcing brigades. I think that's probably the number one, mm. you have too much CP and you're not doing enough focusing on your list pitfall. Because yeah. that, that's a pitfall I commonly fall into. Like, I've been trying to build a Space Marine list and I built a brigade and then Nick took, like, one list of my, one look at my list and was like, Petey Bob, just make, just get three battalions. What are yeah, you doing? Don't do that. Two, yeah, yeah like, two, two battalions is so close to a brigade and it's so much right. less investment. It, and, and Particularly go- if you're running Gullyman, because you probably are, right? I'm not running yeah. Gullyman. I'm trying to run. Oh, Jesus Christ. Anyways, that's a. Uh, yeah, I know. Anyways. Are you even Pablo anymore? I, I was going to say, yeah. like, Space Marines know. is one of the few armies I think does want to bring a brigade consistently, but that's a I whole other discussion. Yeah, I'm, Pablo, I'm trying yeah. to make a Gullymanless brigade work, but that is a, a topic for another patron exclusive. Wow. Episode. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, The brigade pitfall, I think, is something that people fall into um, often, right? Guard as well. Um, Probably Gene Circle with maybe a Gene Circle player who desperately needs CPU, tries to throw them together like a Brood Brothers, Astromel Terran Brigade. Uh, You know, anyways. Um, like a double brigade? But then there's some that do it really, really well. Not, I mean, I know we're getting yeah. more specific, which is hard, but like a Tau Brigade is one of the easiest and best things. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's so good. It's so full of good stuff. You're giving up nothing for it. That's but all stuff like, you'd take anyways. But isn't like three Tau Battalions like also just really, really good too? Uh, yes, it depends on what sets you need to be and mm-hmm. a bunch of other really fiddly I little see. details. It's just that they're not giving up much with the brigade no. is the thing. Like, all, yeah. there are, this is good advice because just, just a brigade is not good. Brigade per codex is varying between very good and, and maybe not good. And Tau yeah, is one yeah, of the like best don't... brigades in the game. Don't make a Death Watch Brigade. That's like the dumbest <laughs> oh thing. Oh my gosh. Oh, don't. <laughs> you can't make a Grey Knights Brigade. It doesn't come in at less than 2,000 points. Same with Custodes. Okay. Like a Same minimum. Custodes, yeah. Oh yeah, of course Custodes. Yeah. A minimum Grey Knights Brigade is more than 2,000 points. Oh, it's like 2,700 or something oh stupid. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's silly. Yeah, I think I think that could be another GW mission is to give every army a brigade at 2,000 points. I think that's that's a good mission. Well, I'll take it's, it. There's Do a whole like other discussion brigade? there. Yeah. It's, I don't know, that's that's a really is, deep subject. It is like, you can you can see it already happening, but people want pure codexes. But one of the arguments against that is that it's kind of hard for some to get the command points out of that solo codex. Yeah. So future iterations, more FAQs, that kind of stuff, is going to be trending, hopefully, in the direction of if you do take a solo codex, you'll be rewarded for that, as opposed to punishing people that, that take detachments and stuff like that. So yeah. And yeah. you will see the game go in the direction of, I want you to be on a solo codex because that's fun, but also I want you to be rewarded for that, not just punish the people that don't, yeah. which is kind mm-hmm. of a feels bad yeah. thing. And I think that's easy to do, right? Like they're, like with the Red Corsairs, perfect example, right? Like if you have a Red Corsairs battalion, you have a lot more CP, so you don't necessarily have to bring in like three Nurglings and a, a char- couple characters to bring five command points, right? Or uh, with the Space Marine Phobos psychic power that just gives you a CP, right? Mm-hmm. I, I could see it. I could see Grey Knights getting something where where you cast it, and if you roll like above a ten, you get like D three command points or something. You know, like it's something a lot of fun gives, stuff. The assassin yeah. is really cool. It's very yep. fluffy. 
gets yep, uh, yeah. spin a command point that. to kill a character. If you kill a character, you get one back. So it's just pretty continuous. Like they, that's what they're going to do anyways. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that fun stuff in there, and that's yeah. the direction I always want. And that so this is the more generic advice for people when talking about stratagems. They're just so darn fun. So if you are writing lists and you find yourself with very few command points, um, do consider adding in the extra battalion or whatever, because stratagems are just very fun for every codex. Yeah. More yeah, fun for some and, than others. And and I was gonna say this is this is a point we went over pretty extensively in our in the finest hour episode, but there's a huge difference between having one command point and having no command points left. And right, when you yeah. hit that bottom of turn like five or six and you're out of command points, that can actually be really harsh when you just roll with two on your sidekick mm-hmm. test and you don't get that power you need right. or yeah. you fail with charge and can't re-roll it. Yeah. Zero CP for me, it's, it's anxiety creating. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> it I'm should be. Like, oh. like yeah. it is when a get dangerous to one, place even? to be. Yeah. I'm always like, is this the right move? Or Everything fucking, I do. Like, D3 damage witchblade with no rend yeah. hurts you and you have your two up and you're like, oh my god, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, you also a, start to yeah. second guess every CP that you spent previously. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. I rolled that two up into a, a one again. Like, that mm-hmm. was a waste. I shouldn't have... Re- you know, just, anyways. Uh, I actually... I, I had a really good demonstration of this uh, in a game I played yesterday. I was playing my Eldar versus Orcs, uh, and I shot some swooping hawks at a squad of three Orc boys and got exactly three wounds on them, and I ended up re-rolling one of my failed wounds in there to get a fourth one because if he had survived with a single boy remaining in that squad and then green-tided them back, I would have been so dead. But if I didn't have that one command point, then like all he has to do is just pass a single six-up save and my whole game is wrecked. Um, that difference of that single command point. And as it turns out, he did pass one of those four six-up saves, but only one of them, which was not enough to keep him alive. Hmm. Uh, but that that single command point was the difference between him getting to green tide and not. Yeah, and a, a patron brought this up, actually. Brandon Grant uh, saved one CP at, in an yes. LBO to win, basically win himself the game because he knew that a, that D3 uh, morale test at the end you know, would be a game winner. Right. Yes. So, and that's a great example of the kind of reason why just save one CP. The way you spend that last CP, like you really, it should be a game winner. If it's yeah. not changing things, don't just re-roll one of your armor saves. And honestly, that kind of applies to earlier in the game as well. Um, a lot of people blow through their CP early in the game because they're not really thinking about like saving it for late game. They're kind of like, well, I don't want to lose this model, and it's like, well. You're going to lose models regardless. You yeah. know, is that changing anything? <gasps> so so let's talk. Okay, so let, let's go ahead and we're talking about the idea of using CPs in specific points in the game. So I, mm-hmm. I actually wanted to talk about before the game strats, because I feel like like those are some of the most commonly used stratagems because they're basically sh- are part of army building, right? Like you. Yeah. Uh, operative requisition is a perfect example. You're just spending one CP to getting an assassin, and that is drastically affecting not only your army but the meta right now, right? So how how reliant or how important are those? How reliant should you be on those stratagems, and how important are they um, in general, right? So or do you think maybe they're a little overrated um, for what people are bringing? And I know the obvious answer here is like, well, it depends on what army you're bringing, Pablo. Like I get that, I get that. But in your experience. <laughs> 
<laughs> in your experience, uh, do you do you tend to shy away from those when building a list uh, or a competitive list, or do you tend to like really go for them and then they really make the army for you? Well, weird aside information. Make sure and check with your tournament on the rules on this because there's a lot of tournaments oh, that are saying yeah. mm-hmm. pre-game stratagems and command points need to be in your list. Actually, yeah, uh, which is a little bit cool. counterintuitive. I understand it totally, but like Adepticon was super weird about that, and you had to, and, you know. You, you need to check on that kind of thing. Yeah. And then for me personally, um, I don't have a super specific answer, but I will tell you that for a while I was taking like Emperor's Wrath um, artillery battery. And I was finding that when you spend the command point for the relic, the command point for the warlord trait, and the command point to obviously do Emperor's Wrath, that those three command points in a then allied in custodies kind of list was pretty expensive. And I didn't find it super, super like, like the ignore cover where the plus one ran on a six was not that big of a deal for me. In other detachments where you have more command points available and, you know, the spinning points and detachments to get the guard in there is not as big of a deal because we're going to do that anyways. That might make more sense to do for you. For me, I found it in that list to be less relevant. So I guess the generic advice I would give is just kind of be open to evaluating whether or not those command points make sense for your list. Um, don't just yeah. spam them. Because what's... Kind of, this Vigilist of Blaze book has fantastic stuff as well, but it's got a little bit of the same thing going on here, right? Where some of the relics are really cool, but for instance, the like shoot at the end of your opponent's movement phase, that's really, really cool. But if you don't have a unit that's utilizing that, then is it worth spending all those command points to reroll ones against vehicles? Eh, maybe not as much, right? Mm-hmm. But if you do build a list that for one or two command points, all of a sudden you are shooting at the end of your opponent's move phase and you've got a unit of Havocs with like four missiles in it or whatever, that's pretty cool. That can actually change your list quite a bit. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and then that that's kind of interesting that you brought that up, Jeff, because I, I have felt the same way. Um, when 8th edition first, when I first started like building those kind of lists in 8th edition, I, I kind of hearkened back to like the 7th edition Imperium list of old where you had one unit that had every single relic that the Imperium has ever had you had like your Gorgon's Change Smash Captain, your Shield Eternal Smash Captain, mm-hmm. your Space, you know, you, you get it, right? So I was doing the same thing with my Custodes. Like all my Custodes Shield Captains were were Gladiator winners or Arena winners, and you know, Victor the Blood, Victor the, the, Blood Victor of the Blood Games. Yeah. Uh, you know, they had every Relic Under the Sun. My Imperial Knights all had one thing, and, and it definitely lowered my CP count. Whereas now, as I'm building my new list, I'm, I'm even thinking about just never taking the, the Emperor's Wrath Artillery because... I'm only using it on one of two models, which are these wyverns, and and they're not even very durable models. So they can easily just get shot off the board, turn one by some army. So it's like, do I even need them for those? Uh, whereas people are winning LVO with one or two CP at the end of the game, right? So I've been mm. kind of shying away from them as well. Um, yeah, I think I think custodes are actually an excellent example of how you absolutely can overinvest. If you take a supreme command of three shield captains, you are potentially spending nine command points and getting one for the supreme <laughs> command as you buy them two relics for three up invulns and then Victor the Blood Games all three guys. Yeah. That's really expensive, and there's probably things you could have better used those nine command points on. Um... And I I don't like doing that. Now, there are lists where you can. If you've got, like, Brigade, Battalion, Supreme Command, maybe you can afford to do that. Sure. But if you've just got, like, a Battalion, a Supreme Command, and a Spearhead, 
no, that ain't happening. You yeah. can't start the game with that, like, one command point. Yeah, beware of old Mally just going in there turn one and <laughs> knocking yeah. out nine command points <laughs> of your army Mally. in turn yeah. in one turn. Old Mally. <laughs> but uh, I think to, to that point, I do think that very often the, you know, the get a relic, get a warlord trait, and some of those other similar ones, um, those are very valuable stratagems. Right. Um, I will often spend one command point on getting those. I won't often spend three or five or seven. Um, because there's usually at least one other relic that is going to be very good for a list. Um, there are just, there's tons of great relics these days. Yeah. Um, it just across all kinds of factions. And if you're, especially if you're souping it together, you probably have two or three different relics that are going to be useful. So you'll get one for free, but you've got to pay for the others. Mm -hmm. Um, I am usually very hesitant to buy the second relic in a faction. Uh, because that, you know, one command point's not too bad. Three command points is a little on the pricey side. Yep. There's there's times when it's worth it, but not very many of them. Hmm. Now, one exception I have kind of seen to this is is if you're going to build your entire army around spending four or five command points but but it has to be the whole list right so it can't just be yeah. one little detachment or even three custodes jet bikes because although those shield captains are good they're, they're not going to be as impactful as 600 points worth of guard or, or more models right because they are still mm. at the end of the day three models that you're investing nine cp into um yeah but uh for example, orc players, orcs spend a lot of CP. I, I would say front load a lot of CP early, not even just before the game starts, but also in, in what they're going to do. They're like, okay, well, I, I'm going to spend the CP to get the mech boy, which means I have to spend the CP to get the vigilist defiant uh, detachment for for my mech my mech guy. Uh, and then right. on top of that, my ludas are going to shoot again twice at least one turn, and then I'm going to have to grot shield them. And, and pretty soon, orc players are looking like, okay, well, I might have 18 CP, but these 10 CP I am devoting towards m the way my list works, or else my list just doesn't function. Well, Pablo, I, I think... it, it kind of sounds like you agree with Jeff and Mai's point earlier about how you need to determine the CP usage by what your list needs. Well, yes, yes, absolutely correct. Um old devil's advocate pd pop there is wrong ah. <laughs> but, ah, but anyways the the point there the point there is is if you're going to build around a specific strategy then i think it's more okay to front load those lists but the real question then becomes is how much more likely are you to be competitive or win tournaments with that strategy versus other strategies um, like for example, Reese's Space Marine list that that doesn't front load any CP. Like he buys like a relic, maybe two if he's feeling spicy. But he's got this giant Space Marine di uh, brigade and a billion CP, and he, he always has like four or five CP turn six right to spend. And, and he just he's he always jokes that he like rerolls over Overwatch shots because he's got an abundance of CP. Kind of like rubs it in your face a little. It's really <laughs> funny. Uh, but the point there is, is how much more competitive. Sounds are, hilarious. It's really it is it's really is joke. if you're watching it. Um, mm, okay. <laughs> uh, but it, how much more competitive are those armies that have the CP to, to use kind of organically um, versus armies like orcs who who front load a lot of CP and have a, like a set CP strategy path? In your opinions, like which is more competitive? Um, in like a broader sense. 
I don't know if that's really an answerable question because there it, it again like it that depends on so many other factors. You do have armies like uh you know custodies are a very good example, blood angels are another one. Mm-hmm. Um where it's like you are guaranteed to spend one on the angel's wing and then three on de- making guys into death company smash captains. Um and then you're probably going to spend, you know, anywhere between four and ten more on various buffs to their fighting and longer charges and deep striking and et cetera. Fighting um, toys, all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, there, it's a huge investment of CP, but the counterpoint there is it's a very small investment of points. It's allowing you to functionally trade CP for points because those units punch way above their weight class in terms of points, but they only do so at the cost of a lot of CP. Uh, and that is often a trade-off that you will make is that units that are CP independent tend to be more expensive in terms of points. Um, a Telemon Dreadnought does not really need any CP, but it is – it's not cheap really it's certainly good for what you get but it's not a cheap unit because there aren't very many of those in the custodes book Mm. Uh, so uh, jeff do you have any thoughts on that no i think sean hit the nail on the head perfect uh so moving on to stratagems um so now you have obviously a certain amount of cp that you need you need to determine now what kinds of stratagems do you find or do you look for um, as as being like the best, right? So we're not going to power rank every single stratagem in 40k, but there are certain kinds of stratagems that that are better over others. Like a perfect example being like House Raven type stratagems that give you mm. uh, natural rerolls in some fashion or some sort of buffs uh, versus like Cabal the Blackheart and the Gene Stealer Cult. Strat- I think a plan a thousand years in the making or whatever. I don't know what it's yeah. called. Just a hundred. Uh, it's a hundred. You know, they don't plan that far ahead. They're just gene stealers. Uh, the well, the easy, obvious, immediate answer is anything that lets you shoot or fight twice. Okay. Um, those stratagems are always good. Uh, there's like I don't think there is an example of them that is not powerful and has not been used to significant effect. Um, beyond so, that, look at what your co- your codex's core competency is um if you're a tau army you need to improve your shooting how do you improve your shooting plus one to wound additional marker light counters okay what about stratagems like like the ones that let you charge first first turn charge or second turn charge or or uh, rerolls charge um would you put those in the category of of being able to fight twice like i I know you're obviously not getting extra actions but you kind of are in that sense you wouldn't have normally been able to charge turn two but you, that stratagem lets you charge turn two, which kind of gives you an extra phase that you weren't going to get without that stratagem. Depends on whether the rest of the codex supports it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you look at something like Chaos Space Marines, and I'm going to go ahead and speak like pre-Vigilus Ablaze, because I don't have enough experience with Vigilus Ablaze. That changes a lot of stuff in the way that codex works. But pre-Vigilus Ablaze, CSM are not an aggressive codex. Um, you can't just throw your guys straight into the teeth of the enemy and expect to kill stuff. Um, so a a theoretical CSM stratagem that would allow them to, you know, get off that one turn earlier charge, probably not very valuable because you're just kind of like putting a unit into the enemy that is going to die immediately. Uh, but for orcs, which are a very aggressive army or gene stealer cult or something like that, that could be very different. Okay. Uh, Jeff, how high do you value like 
tricky stratagems or gotcha stratagems. I don't want to call them gotcha stratagems, but like like for example, the Tango Foot Grenade stratagem. Mm. I know that you have you're very high on it. Um, mm. Stratagems like that where they're they're very niche, but when they work, they're like, oh baby, it's awesome. How high do you rate those stratagems? Are those kind of just like flair, or or are they something you can actually tangently rely on in general? It's tough to answer generically. Um, I thought you know when Sean said that it's hard to just kind of give a generic answer on this kind of stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's tough. Uh, for instance, though, if you're facing that orc player and you are the custodian player and you only have like six seven command points at your disposal at the beginning for whatever reason but you do have custodian infantry and you have the tangle foot access, that's going to be a gigantically important stratagem. So then you will not reroll something or you will fail that charge because your plan is to cripple them with the stratagem later. Veterans, yeah. the long war is another big deal. Like if you still have your blitz alive and like, that's a big part of the teeth of your list. Um, that's a, that's a stratagem that really gels nicely with them. Right. Or, I mean, it gels nicely with just about everything, of course, but, <laughs> The point is their effectiveness goes pretty far through the roof, depending on, like, if you're facing a knight, that makes that difference. All of a sudden, you can wound a knight on a 2+, right, versus as low mm-hmm. as a 4, uh, actually as low as a 5, which you then make it to a 4. Like, it, it has huge impacts that way. Yeah. Um, but then there's other stratagems where you're not relying on that as much. But, for example, we've been using Gene Circle as a big deal. You only get it once per assault, but the perfect ambush is a big deal. And... Mm-hmm. A good kind of example of this is the Sanctus gets to use Perfect Ambush for free, which is a little bit of a trap, right? Because that means you're shooting twice with the Sanctus, which in most cases not the biggest of deals, but it can actually one shoot uh, one shot. Excuse me, a Psyker, for instance, with the relics with the relic rifle, and that's pretty darn cool. But if you use that stratagem, even if it's for free, that means you're now not D6 moving your ten man aberrant unit, and then you got to kind of evaluate that stuff. But if you don't have a good target for those aberrants and you are waiting till turn three. Then you start to do the kind of command point budget thing where you're like, okay, well, this is free now, which is really nice. So we'll shoot twice for this to try to get that damage in. But on this turn, because I only have five left, I can spend upwards of two, but I absolutely need to have perfect ambush on turn three. Otherwise, my list falls apart and I'm not going to win this game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of stuff you think about. And then you, and I love the hard math of this too. And the other thing, the, the other big one, and you mentioned this too, is like the House Raven stratagem. Almost all your command points, if you're taking that Castellan in the guard list, needs to be kind of thinking about that knight and how you're using it that way. And some of the best examples of this that I absolutely love was at the LVO, where we saw fantastic players like Brandon Grant, of course, Michael Snyder. They were doing things like not rotating Ion Shield and instead spinning one command point to have them operate at top shelf, which is an interesting resource because they're giving up wounds that they otherwise probably wouldn't. But they're budgeting saying, I need to house Raven for turn three which is very expensive, but I want to get that damage out because a Castellan without that, even at top shelf, becomes very reasonable, right? Like the damage output of it can be fantastic, of course, but you can also just roll those ones and twos a whole bunch and then yeah. it's just more of a reasonable night. That's a brilliant, that's like a brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah, that kind of pre-allocation like that is something you see that a lot of those top-end players like Brandon Grant, Nick Nanavati, etc. talk about, uh, and that's where sort of like knowing what you need is really important, because if you understand that like, okay, I have to house Raven next turn, otherwise I'm not reliably going to kill him, then you need to look at like, okay, where can I and can't I spend command points, and what do I have to expect for the rest of the game? Um, I know Nick Navani has said that, like, in many of his lists, he knows, like, okay, I have these 
you know, 11 of my 14 command points pre-allocated to various actions that I'm going to have to take over the course of the game, which means my list actually has three command points starting and all of the others are already spent. They just haven't been marked in yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do something very similar. Like, usually for me, it's round two of a game. I'll have a, a set of pocket command points that I won't spend Almost no matter what. So that's when you'll mm-hmm. see me sit and pause for a very long time um, is is when I'm considering spending one of my like sacred command points because <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about things like, well, I really f- like at this point, I think I'm going to be able to say interrupt a fight phase again. And that's really important to me a late game because I'll be looking at the board and I'll, yep. I'll have an idea of what's going to happen. Like what, what does my opponent need to do to win this game and how do I stop him? Right. Because I, I tend to play with my uh, like say with my custodies a little more real actively than when I used to play, say, Blood Angels, where it was like, spend everything right away, try to break his back before the game, before, like, he has a chance to to shoot me, right? Because Blood Angels just don't survive anything. <laughs> um, where, where Custodes can survive longer, a lot of my lists are more reactive. It's like, okay, I'm going to Tanglefoot here. I know I'm going to spend a couple here. Maybe I keep three for a, a Vixilla Homer if I've brought that uh, tech in my list. Um, but I usually say, like, I have these three command points, say, around turn two or four, that I will not spend. Like, I don't care if Trajan dies uh, because of this. Like, this is something I need to do later. Um, Trajan yeah. dying is a super bad example because I will never let that happen. But um, <laughs> otherwise... It, I, I was going to have to that, strike you, but... Another good example is, and this is a good advice for people that are going to be doing this, which is a lot of people, but the assassins, for instance, save that one command point because yes. if you can kill a character, you just go up a command point. That's an amazing way for a list that otherwise doesn't have access to gaining command points back to gain more command points. Yes. Yeah, uh, and, and you can even... Oh, go, go ahead, Sean. You, I was going to say, um, actually, Peter made a really good point there, is that there are a couple different styles depending on what, your, what stratagem resources you have available, but a Blood Angels list is the kind of list that wants to blow most of its command points early to do as much damage as possible. Uh, kind of on the theory that, like, if I break them now, they can't hurt me later, whereas Custodes don't have uh, stratagems that enhance their damage output in the same way. Like, they have some, you know, sort of like plus one to wound or plus one AP kind of strats, but they're not as impressive as the Blood Angels ones, which is why it pays off much better for them to use those command points in a disruptive fashion, to use those Tanglefoot grenades and Stooping Dive and stuff like that, that will really ruin the enemy but it does so by disrupting their plan rather than by destroying their units hmm. um sorry just, go ahead no just another quick thing on on the imperium because i love assassins right now um a lot of the assassins have or not a lot the eversor and the Calidus and the Calexus are all really good at picking off a one wound character in your shooting phase and mm-hmm. then um going into the salt phase and killing another character and just generating you two extra cp just in in one turn yeah. which you can then turn into a three cp stratagem to fight again with something which is it's a very common stratagem that most imperium codexes have but it's it, it's really good but anyways yeah i do it. miss and don't miss like unlimited cp regeneration for things <laughs> like that oh could um, you imagine oh well I don't miss it because it was terrible. I do miss it because, like, I had a f- uh, what I thought was a fun Custodes and Blood Angels with Guard list where, you know, you could regenerate, say, like, 6 CP off of a fight against Strat. And whenever it happened, it was just glorious. I always loved it. Because <laughs> you'd pop tra- uh, Trajan's ability mm. and then regen off the two guys. Anyway, yeah. when it happened, you'd just be like, well, 
you know what? I don't even care what happens the rest of this game. I went from zero CP to six, yeah. and there's nothing you can do about <laughs> Jeez, it. I, I spent three to go up three. Yeah. yeah. If you, your assassin kills a character, you roll five up, you get to commit two command points back for free. Yeah. Well, you can still totally yeah. do that. Uh, it's but, a world that we live in now, but anyway. That's nuts. Anyways. <clears throat> All right. So I, I think there's more to talk about on this subject, but I, I, I like some of the patrons' questions um, on the subject, and I think that they have a lot more to add with their questions. So we're just going to yeah. go ahead and jump into the end of the episode. Um, as you know, if you listen to Chapter Tactics, uh, all the patrons do get to ask questions at the end of every episode. We'll read them, um, and this is done through the Facebook chat. And so if you want to get your questions asked, go to answered, go to page, uh, go to chaptertactics.com, patreon.com slash chaptertactics. One day I'll get the link right. Uh, and then go ahead and ask your questions in the Facebook group. Uh, so moving on to patron Travis who is asking... Um, an off-topic question, but still a fun one. Can a non-Castle Tau army ever be successful? If so, what would you base the army around? I think this is a Sean question. Um, depends on a little bit what you mean by non-Castle. Um, a lot of my Tau armies do, like, spread out more, and I tend to send, like, Riptides kind of careening about to claim objectives and whatnot. Um, but you still have to build a melee defense. Um as long as Tau are entirely reliant on for the greater good and their sort of supporting fire mechanic to live through and deal with melee, which is a big part of the game, um, then you're going to have to castle to some degree. But that doesn't mean you have to put 90 fire warriors surrounding nine broadsides with three ethereals in there. That's not actually a very good plan. <laughs> hmm. Uh yeah, I don't know anything about Tau to answer this question. But Well, I think he was also trying to figure out, like, how do you make a very mobile list? Because uh, he's worried about Shadow Sun uh, with the, a potential sniper meta. And sure. there are a lot of, you know, Shadow Sun lists that are doing very well right now. And in a potential sniper meta, yes, she will get murdered. Um, yeah, but that being not said, really. she just you can hide her in cover. Yeah, she'll, yes. So there's a lot of different things you can do to avoid it. Um, and the other thing... Um, because he had, I think, had asked about, like, piranha lists and such. Mm. I know Simon Prittis won that Warhammer GT for whatever that's worth with, like, eight, nine piranhas. And yeah. I believe, like, his whole thing was seeker missile spam. Not sure if it would actually work in an ITC setting. Something you could think about um, is, you know, putting 18, 20-some-odd uh, seeker missiles in your list and hoping to alpha strike any knight you meet or anything like that. I'm not sure if it if it stands up to... Gene Stiller cults or orcs, uh, like Sean said, like you need to be able to deal with all these ridiculous charges with guys with rock saws and and power claws and such that are, are going to be in the meta. So yeah, and, and uh, so so three actually three separate patrons were curious about this question, um, but one of the questions brought up Will Abilise's LVO list for this year, um, and and kind of cited it as a non-castling mobile tile list, and I think to answer your question, Wilga. Uh, his list did well because it, it could castle when it needed to, or it could move yeah. up the board and be super mobile with those durable riptides in certain matchups and just you know win the game that way when he needed to. So it was it was less a castling talist or non castling talist and more just a very various you know morphic talist that could do a little bit of everything when it needed to, which is also I think how Will Abelis played because plays because if you look at his LVO performance top eight. Three years ago, um, he also played a very similar kind of style of list with where it could tassel if it wanted to, or it could go out, kill things, be awesome. Um, so, well, yeah. 
It's like yeah. Sean said, like, riptides are hard to kill. Yes. There's nothing to stop you from running a riptide up the board if you need to to hold on to an objective. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So. And there you go. Yeah, I would just reiterate my previous comment. If your list has to castle to work, it's probably not going to do great overall. But having the flexibility to do so is a very useful tool. Hmm. And Tao has that built in a little bit, too, with, like... Uh... I'm going to get the words wrong, but Monka and all that kind of stuff where they can yes. advance and still shoot at full effect a couple of times. A lot of people forget that there are two halves to that uh, once per game ability. Don't be afraid to use the half that lets you advance and shoot because that can really win oh, your yeah. game. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, Kelsey wants to know, do you memorize all of your faction stratagems? Also, how many stratagems from other factions do you memorize? Ooh, so, I'm a bad one to ask on this. I memorize I, everything. I never. <laughs> the uh, opportunity that I'll always take is a lot of people play various different numbers of war of Warhammer games, obviously. And I think a lot of people trend towards the, like, a game a week at most. Um, that's going to be hard to memorize a lot of this game when you do that. That's okay. People have various different amount of time and, and perhaps even interest in putting into the game. But I love just going to sleep reading the Codex. I love just having mm-hmm. it near me and just checking it. Like if I'm watching the office or whatever, and I'm sitting on the couch resting, I'll just have the codex next to me, open it up and be like, huh, Abaddon does give full rerolls to such and such or whatever. Like mm-hmm. just yeah. keep refreshing yourself. Keep checking that. But the best answer is that you will memorize um, by playing a whole bunch. Like if you have the time, the interest, and you have friends nearby, if you play three or four games a week and so many people also like play two games of the list and then shelf it and then play with something else and shelf it and play and like, that's good too, but that's hard to to really get into the nitty gritty of a list or a codex. Even play a bunch of games with that. You'll just start memorizing the strategy, and you'll start to see where they interact and how they where it's effective or not. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, and I think what helps with that is uh, a good starting point is, is you try to memorize your your faction's key stratagems, like your your build arounds, the ones that you're probably going to be using every single game, uh, and then from there get yourself like cards or you know the data cards work perfectly for this gw data cards which you can buy at frontlinegaming.org uh and and uh get the swiss army knife stratagems out like your your tangle foot grenades your five up feel no pain against mortal wounds you're just random little situational ones and kind of fan those out in front of you and play those games to you because you're going to find that that a lot of the times those strategies might actually come into play whereas if you didn't have those cards with you or if you didn't have the codex on hand and you weren't aware of them consistently or you weren't tr- making a concerted effort to be aware of them, you might miss out on a win or or a specific points in a game um, which could cost you a game, right? So, And that has personally, from experience, has personally happened to me um, just with the Knight mm-hmm. Codex because the Knight Codex has a really good you know, situational stratagems um, that I just haven't yeah, optimized. A ton of them, yeah, yeah, a ton of yeah. really good ones. Um, like I've won, I think with almost every stratagem in now at that point in that book, like even like the thunder stomp that does D three mortal wounds to an infantry unit on a four up. Like I, that has won me the game before because it just did the last wound because I rolled it badly or whatever. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyways. And I, th- I think, well, that's essentially what I do too, Pablo, in terms of the cards. So early on uh, when I'm playing a codex, I'll memorize the big ones. Um, I try to memorize everything in, in if it's my codex, but I mean, I also like to play games when I can and living in the Arctic, it's not a thing I get to do super duper often. Um, so when I play my games, I'll have my situational cards in front of me. Um, so for Death Watch, it's stuff like Tempest Shells, um, which people forget all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just little little things like the one that you where you can split your fire and change your um, 
your uh, your like, tactic, uh, quote unquote, cha- your yeah. tactic uh, for each one, like stuff that I may like very situational, and I, and I'll memorize the big ones. But then there comes a point where you you really should have like the majority of at least your codex down. Um, and then for me, for other people's codexes, uh, I, I do have like that this thing where I check every list that wins a tournament, uh, plus like the top four to six. So I do have uh, like a little extra where I'm I will research those lists if I if I do, if it doesn't make sense to me to see like what combos is this guy even trying to pull off. Um, I own every codex, but for maybe one or two, like, I didn't buy Harlequins because I didn't feel it was <laughs> worth my time. Harlequins, um, very hard. But, <laughs> but uh, like so. so do your best to know like what's the what are the crazy combos that are going to be out there and and uh, like figure out how to deal with those so like the the jackal demolition charge combo like know that hey you might hit 5d6 strength 8 hits uh in your face turn two or turn one even if they're depending on how they're playing um just stuff that you, you're going to need need to understand when you're playing against certain armies yeah um you know one or two stratagems per per army and then for your own try to get uh, try to buy, eventually get them all, and then yeah, use your cards and and stuff as a, as reminders as the game goes on. Because you're gonna get excited in a game, something crazy is gonna happen, and then you're gonna completely forget that that core key stratagem that you use all the time is something you have available, and your opponent's gonna do something, and you're just not gonna use it. Yeah, perfect. Well said. Um, memorize your opponent's key stratagems, um, and then also to add on to that, just a teensy bit uh, before we go to the last question. Have your opponent's book just open with the stratagems page open and just kind of like thumb through those and your opponent's, you know, moving models around or you know, when there's a little downtime. Um, you don't have to read his entire codex there, but just you know, occasionally glance at some stratagems. That's what yeah, I also rip like out to certain do. pages. Yeah, rip out pages. <laughs> Eat them That's so that he can't show you the stratagems anymore. You guys figured me out. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then finally, the last question. Uh, Mr. Patron Forrest wants to know, he's struggling with orcs. And he's struggling not to spend all 19, 18 of his CP turn one. Please help. Live your dream, bud. Spend it all. Who cares? Uh, Don't listen to me. I, I I would say this echoes back a lot to the have a plan for your CP. Know where you're going to spend them. If you're going to be shooting again and daka daka dacking with your looter lootas the first three turns of the game, set aside 12 CP. And do like Peter said, just... I can't spend these. These are reserved. These are for my Ludas. I can't spend them on anything else because they're they're already spent. That's not even an option. Um, but orcs, like a lot of armies, are able to blow through a lot of CP really quickly. And you have to think about whether it's worth it is really that big question. Is like, well, I could spend one CP to, you know, heal D3 wounds on this guy. Would that actually save him from dying? Or am I just going to heal D3 wounds and then he's going to take five thunder hammer hits and die anyways? Yeah, and, and this is this is something that more and more people are going to have to learn because that Calidus assassin is something that you're going to be seeing in yeah. 80% of Imperium mm. lists, right? So like you're it. going to see a Calidus assassin once a tournament. That's almost a guarantee at this point. Uh, and those Calidus assassins, for those of you who are unaware, on a four up and one the first game round and then for two CP and another game round, game round, which is two turns on a four up. Every time you spend a stratagem, you lose an additional CP and that's not something that you can take back. Um, and if you, that would mean that you can't cast the C, cast the stratagem anymore. You just don't get the stratagem. No, oh, that's actually backwards. Or, it's, or it's the stratagem backwards. fails unless right, but then you, you spend won't be another able to use, CP. But then you won't be able to use the stratagem later on in the phase at all. So it, right. it counts as a use for the stratagem, which which is what I was trying to get at. But the point there is, 
is it, it doesn't sound like a whole lot, right? You might lose one, two, if you're really unlucky, three or four CP, but on average, usually see around two CP is probably fair. But when you're trying to conserve your CP for turn five, turn six, and you're trying to pull Brandon Grant wins with your one CP, it becomes a lot harder. Um, so CP management is something that people are going to have to learn a lot more. So, uh, you, you know, like like Peter said, like Sean said, just go in there, be be smart with your CP. Um, and then I think you should be okay. Just really evaluate. And, and also, th- this is something you should do at the end of every game. Go back at the end of your game and look through your decisions uh, and evaluate where your mistakes were. And, and, and you can do this very easily with CP. Um, if you're one of those people who likes to look at luck and, and attribute that to your losses, it, it's really hard to do with CP because, you know, you're not rolling a die and using a random stratagem every phase. You know, the CP is something we have complete agency over in the game, right? So it's it's very easy to go in there and evaluate, you know, what decisions you made that did or didn't cost you the game. Right. Yeah. So and, go in there. And also that. one thing that I would uh, say that I see a lot of people do is they spend a command point on a reroll and then the reroll fails and they're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And whether or not the reroll succeeds should not have dictated whether you did it. The the decision to make or may not make that reroll is not contingent on the result of the second roll. It's mm-hmm. how valuable that roll is, how likely it is to succeed, etc. The actual die result should be irrelevant in the end. The decision was correct or not qu- correct before you made that roll. Yep. All right. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. That is the end of the episode. Uh, if you haven't already, go to FrontlineGaming.org. Give that page, the ITC Patreon um, some money. The ITC, we are all working really hard um, for free, essentially, um, to you know bring the ITC to you uh, and bring all these wonderful tournament results and uh, the LVO and everything else. So Give, give that maybe uh, at least a like or something. Secondhand Shop, go to the Secondhand Shop. Check out In the Finest Hour on FrontlineGaming.org. Uh, check out Jeff on In Control TV. Deadpan Diaries Episode 6 should be coming out this week, right, Jeff? Yep. Boom. Thanks. I'm super excited for that. I've been listening. It's an awesome show, by the way, Jeff. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. I, I love it. I, I love Anyways, Deadpan Diaries, check it out uh, in Control TV on YouTube. Uh, and then go to 40kstats.com, like we mentioned before, and also while you're there give bcp a like on facebook maybe throw a little love their way uh thank you guys very much for listening you guys are the best listeners in the world and as always have a good one Bye bye